Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of business, and lessons learned. Boy, can override the worries and depression. Here are your Carmen Nazario and Josh Carter. Good afternoon, everybody. Happy Friday. It is one o'clock on the West Coast. I am your host, Josh Carter. Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast, uh, which is, I've got something really exciting. Alan, did you know uh, some of our episodes are now online? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I am so excited. Finally, we've only been doing this since March. So Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so if you uh, if you go to SoundCloud, I think it's forward slash veteran, founder podcast, you can find our first three episodes, which uh, the first two were Carmen and I sort of getting to know each other, and then we got into the third episode, which was my friend, the great Tom Cox uh, from Candle. Uh, anyway, if you are unfamiliar with the show, welcome. Uh, every week we bring in these amazing vet- veteran founders and military spouse founders to talk about their business, what they're working on, lessons learned, etc. And this week, I'm excited because we have a in-studio guest, my good friend Jim Minji. Uh, welcome, sir. Well, thank you, Josh. I asked nice you, to be here. Er- yeah, I asked you earlier. You know, how should I introduce you? Because I know you have so many different. You wear so many different hats. But you said service disabled, combat veteran, Vietnam era. Man, that's a mouthful. But serial entrepreneur. Serial entrepreneur, kind of by. Uh Requirement, uh, <laughs> and, and on your LinkedIn, you're, you're right now you have founder and CEO of Veteran Business Services Incorporated, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Okay. But uh, you know, I know you very well. You're you're staple here in the Oregon area, uh, just a great advocate for veteran entrepreneurs. Uh, but you know, my listeners don't know who you are, so we're going to get to know a little bit about Jim. Uh, so tell me a little bit about where you're from and what prompted you to get in the military. Well, I'm a Philadelphia boy. Go Eagles. Sorry, they yeah. didn't make it this year. I'm a but Giants fan, so I don't know if we could be in the oh, same man, room we together. Might, we may, we may, I may this is to, not good. We'll, we'll leg wrestle after yeah, the, yeah, after there you the go. game. I like that. No, I grew up there in a large family of 10 brothers and sisters and uh, was a contractor's family. So my father was an entrepreneur. He was also a uh, a Battle of the Bulge guy. So okay. as a young kid, it was like, well, you know, that's, you know, being a soldier or going off to war was a... You know, a, a rite of passage. Yeah, uh, probably probably one that I should have uh, thought a lot more about. But sure. uh, but in any event, uh, you know, I ended up uh, going to uh, college and uh, went to the University of Dayton, and they had an ROTC program. I figured out I really wasn't a disciplined soldier, but I also wasn't a disciplined student. So I ended up dropping out. And what was your major when you were in school? Uh, initially, it was just general. Eventually, it was yeah. economics and finance when I came back the second time. But sure. I dropped out in the middle and ended up uh, saying, hey, what am I going to do with my life here? And thought, well, you know, your father did it. You can do it. So right in the middle of the Vietnam War, I signed up to go to—I go to, thought I was going to fly helicopters. Yeah. But uh, fortunately, I, uh, uh, I didn't pass the test for that. My directional capabilities aren't very good. But I ended up in the infantry. Uh, ended up in uh, Vietnam, uh, and uh, back then they didn't give you a lot of training. They just sent you to the field and said, uh, when you got there, they said, you're going to be a radio operator. So uh, I, uh, I operated in what's called Two Corps, which is west of Chu Lai, where they had a big, big base. And uh, after an orientation of about three days, they put you on a helicopter, send you out to the field. 
Three and days. Three days. Three, da- three days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, this equipment, go. <laughs> yeah, bas- basically, you know, in the states, they they sent me to advanced infantry training in a place called Fort Polk, Tigerland. Okay, and uh, that was uh, the idea of it was get used to the climate, uh, get used to being miserable. Which in Fort Polk, in Louisiana, you can be real miserable sure. in, in the summertime. Yeah, but but <laughs> I they, was stationed in Mississippi, so I can relate. Yeah, it's it's uh, the, the the humidity and the snakes and whatever. They're they're a, a a good test to send you over there. So you get over there, and you're you're there with a bunch of 18, 19 year olds. Uh, you're out in the field, and uh, you're learning on the job. Uh, the guy before me uh, was the radio operator. He learned from the guy before him. He they taught you how to talk on a radio, how to read a map, and how to call an airstrike. So uh, those skill sets were very handy over there. Um, and in a way, my experience in the war was less taxing than other people because I grew up in a large family, had a lot of chaos in it, and that's really what war is about. And I'm one of the lucky ones. I, uh, so I didn't. Uh, when the bombs went off, the other people got hit. I didn't. So, uh, you know, you get some guilt out of that coming back, sure. uh, and some of your buddies don't come back. But, but uh, that brought me back in a whole different frame of reference to the world. Very seminal event in somebody's somebody's early life. Being from a big family, was it easy for you to acclimate into sort of the military life? Because I would imagine. There's some parallels, right? Especially for me, when I went through the boot camp, like you're just basically bunking with 20 other people. I mean, being in a big family, is that are there parallels to that, or did you find it difficult to, to uh, acclimate to that? I didn't find it very difficult, and the reason I didn't was because in a big family, you're very independent. Okay. So you have a lot of confidence. Maybe a lot of it's false confidence. But for me, I, you know, on my own, you know, I, I enlisted. I didn't, you know, I wasn't yeah. drafted. I enlisted. I was very confident that I could do this and and uh, went to basic training. But I wasn't very disciplined. I was a second son, and I was a—that's why I didn't finish school. I didn't have a lot of discipline. I was I, w- I was a party guy. Yeah. And uh, so uh, w- when I dropped out because uh, other people weren't going to support the habit, and I said, why are you paying for this? You should be doing something else. Anyway, uh, so going back to the service, uh, I was not disciplined, but I was like, I'm not going to let them break me. You know, I'm sure. going to I'm going to do the I'm going to do the the marches. I'm going to not let them uh, out tough me. So that was a a way to get to a goal that was my own personal goal. But I, I don't really think I was that much of a team player till I got to Vietnam. There it was a whole different story because you're in the middle of a hundred people and uh, you're really counting on each other. And so. Uh, you know, you're, uh, you, you just got to do it. Yeah. I would imagine the ego goes away, the, all the, you just, you're out there to do a job and support, like you said, support everybody. You have a very diverse population. They're young yeah. uh, and all different ethnicities. Uh, and you really don't look at that at all. It's like sure. when, when you're out there and there's, there, there's some stuff happening, you rely on those people and you're not, you're not going to, the last thing you're thinking about is, you know, where they came from or who they are. Uh, you, you're really saying, you know, are they doing their job? And if they are, or if they're not, I, can I help them do their job? I, I love that you just said that because I, I think people don't realize that most military people, people in the shit, um, that's the way they think. I, they don't care about your sexual orientation. They don't care where you grew up. They don't care about your education level. Can you get your job done? 
that's what everybody cares about. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and and it also, if you haven't had a lot of experience, it gives it gives you even more strength. Sure. Because then you're coming out here and you're you are helping your own, your buddies, and you go through a uh, scenario where you might have been in a battle or some kind of skirmish, and you get through it. Yeah. So you get through it. It's like, well, we we can handle this now together. We can handle this. So uh, for me, as I said, it's a seminal event. So. I thought when I get back, I'm going to be the same thing. I'm going to reintegrate into society as a word I have only learned in the last five years. Yeah. Back then, we didn't know have a word like that. But you have this confidence. You got through. And you're going to come back and, you know, attack the world like any other young guy would do. What, did, what rank did you get out when you got out? Or what rank were you when you got out, I should say? You get pretty, uh, you get pretty advanced. When, yeah, yeah. Well, I started as a got to Vietnam as an E one, came back as an E five. Wow. Yeah, and, and nice. I almost almost uh, got to E six, but some of the yeah. lifers didn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, in a war yeah, zone, yeah. you can get advancement pretty quickly. Yeah, I would yeah. imagine. Yeah. So you get out. Did you come back to? Did you go back to Philadelphia? or You came back to the west. Came to the west coast. Well, actually, I left and came from here, which is kind of ironic. I, I flew from the from Philadelphia to uh, Lewis McCord. Okay, uh, got on a World Airlines there. It had two or three stops and ended in Cameron Bay. And on the way back, same thing. Came back to uh, to uh, Lewis McCord and then went directly to Philadelphia. Uh, and that was the last for me. That was the last uh, touch I had with the service because yeah. I I ended up uh, in a hospital there with. Uh, a pretty severe case of malaria that I didn't know was a reoccurring disease. Oh, wow. And uh, it allowed me to get out of the Army because I was supposed to be a drill instructor. And I, they said, if you let me out, you know, they were letting everybody out. Then I didn't realize they wanted to, you know, kind of thin the ranks. Sure. I was very happy about it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. What year was that when you got out? 1970. 1970. Oh, man. A long okay. time ago. Fif- almost 50 years. Well, 50 years since Vietnam. Thank you for making me feel young, Jim. I love you. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so you get out, you go back to Philadelphia. What What's the transition for you like? Because I would imagine going from the crap that you saw in Vietnam to sort of trying to, as you said, reintegrate yourself into you know whatever it was. What was that first thing that you did to reintegrate yourself into the workforce or whatever it is that you did? Well, back then it was uh, it was about when you came back, you were. St- you were, everything was too fast. Sure. You're, you're you're on the ground walking around for a year, and then you come back and everything is. You got cars moving fast, and not only that, the culture moved fast from from the friends I had were who were were not really, uh, uh, shall I say, uh, uh, wild and crazy. Before I left, by the time I get back, there was a big drug culture. There was there was uh, they were doing things that. Uh, I didn't even couldn't fathom. But for me, I came back and said, hey, you got to get on with this here. So I had already had uh, two years worth of college. So I decided, well, I'll, I'll go back to the same college, University of Dayton, because I need to move fast. Mm-hmm. I need to catch up on everything that I have missed and get a sheepskin to prove, sheepskin to prove that I'm a, a smart guy, so, yeah. uh, which really didn't work that effectively. <laughs> but I did get a degree. <laughs> and and what, did you, uh, what did you study at uh, Dayton? When you I studied came, business, right? Yeah, I studied business, and I, I wanted to uh, to study uh, finance, really, but uh, yeah. I kind of combined that with economics and, okay. and got a degree in uh, Bachelor of Science in nice. Economics. We're going to take a quick break. Is that cool? Sure. All right. So we've been talking to Jim Minji. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this.
CPA dudes where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startup radio. And we're back with Jim and G. Um, man, I there are just I know you have so many other things um, to tell us about your transition into back into society. I, you went back to college. What did you do after you went to the University of Dayton? Well, I wanted to be someone who could put deals together. Okay, I was excited about. I grew up in a construction family, and I I wanted to be able to figure out how to build buildings or finance buildings, and and I wasn't really uh, that good with figuring out the parts of buildings, so I went for the finance side. Okay, uh, banking was a little bit too conservative, but I ended up in a field called commercial mortgage banking, which allowed me to figure out how to finance buildings. Uh, industrial buildings or small shopping centers or multifamily housing, learn how to put the parts of that financing deal together. And, and uh, I did it for, for two years. But I was so uh, on adrenaline from the war, I, I think a lot of people who were working with me kind of were softly encouraging me to be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in those early, But in those early days, it wasn't really called entrepreneur. It was just go start a business. Was go do it. Yeah. And, and uh, back then, the trend was... Uh, uh, getting into to fitness, and it was it was it was a big fast uh, bubble that was happening. And I saw, I saw fitness and racquetball clubs as being something that would really could be a growth area and something that would be fun and exciting. So I ended up uh, being dangerous enough to know how to put a debt deal together. And I said, well, what else do you need? You need equity. So I uh, figured out how to do limited partnerships and go out and sell investments and combine the debt and an equity and. At the age of 26, ended up with a 8,000 square foot building that had racquetball courts and. Uh, and where was this? This was in Dayton, Ohio. Okay. It was the first one on the block. Yeah. Uh, and uh, fortunately for me, the budget came in pretty on mark, and I was in a good market with with low interest rates. So I thought I was really doing well. I was I knew everything. <laughs> so uh, and it did work pretty well as far as the the sales went up, yeah. the cash went in the bank. And now it was time to, you know, feed that uh, adrenaline and do some more of it. So I ended up over the next three years doing 14 fitness racquetball clubs, a uh, small franchise system. Uh, and uh, it was all my, like, my own little dot-com experience. I went from three people to 100 people back to three people in a period of four years. Why did you go back down to three people? Well, back in the late se- or the late 70s, there was a depression in the Midwest. They used to have signs around there saying, you know, we're well, the last person here going to Texas, turn out the lights. Uh, and nice. most of my customers, of which I had the over 10,000 customers in seven different facilities in Dayton, Ohio by yeah. then, most of them were blue collar. They worked for tool and die companies and the automotive industry, which was sure. crashing. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they were taking their six packs and they were going home. And I was sitting there with some mortgages. So, uh, fortunately, I had designed the buildings such that they were convertible into offices or or light industrial. Uh, so I didn't go bankrupt, but I got out by the skin of my teeth mm-hmm. and uh, had to go in a new direction like any entrepreneur would have to start over again. Yeah. And what do you think that experience taught you about being an entrepreneur? That experience there taught me that uh, you can't do it alone. Yeah. You can't. You, you can. You can. Back then, you, you thought, you well, I'll, I'll go strong. I'll, I'll bang my fist on the desk. And uh, a lot of times you'd get what you wanted. But you weren't really learning how to run a business. You were sure. really just going forward, and you were accomplishing goals, but you weren't really running a business. Yeah. 
That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So what was your next foray after that? What did you get into next? Well, since I had the skill sets to be able to figure out how to finance a building, or I thought finance a business, I uh, ended up going to Boston and uh, had a, carved a really unique niche in that uh, I didn't know what to do, but I knew how to get mortgage money and I knew how to get equity money. So I learned how to do sac- tax securities and became what I call an investment banker to nonprofits. Interesting. Nonprofits didn't have a way to really amass the financing they needed for the project. So I carved a niche and became their investment banker for hire. And over the next 15 years, did over 150 projects. For, but all had nonprofit uh, sponsors, which yeah. really gave me a good feeling. Yeah. Because I like to do good, but I wanted to do the deals too. There's, it's so hard. You know, having uh, r- helped run a, a nonprofit for a bit, I, I could tell you, man, it is really hard to run a nonprofit. I mean, you were constant. If you think being a founder of a, a startup is difficult to raise money for, a nonprofit 10 times harder. I tell people that one of the, the largest transactions I ever did, I did a public securities offering that had a nonprofit sponsor. Yeah. And, uh, of course, you have to have uh, stability to start a public offering, normally 5% of the equity, and this was a $20 million transaction. And we didn't have any money, so we had to go to the Ford Foundation, and the Ford Foundation provided a million-dollar loan. Wow. But I tell people that is the hardest money. Yeah. I, it took a year and a half to negotiate it. Uh, it had a documentation that was a thick, you know, foot thick, and uh, it was just exasperating trying to actually get to the closing. They weren't in sync with the rest of the world. And and people don't most you know most people outside of our eco- ecosystem don't know, but man, the Ford Foundation they are a really good backer mm-hmm. of veteran initiatives. Absolutely, yeah. uh, and uh, they, they've been a community backer for a long time. Uh, they do what's called uh, program-related investments, where mm-hmm. they'll give you a, a low-interest loan, but they expect you to become self-sufficient eventually and pay yeah. it back. Yeah. And in my particular case, it was a it was a very speculative-type transaction, but they actually got their money back, so awesome. they, they were very pleased with it. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So, what, so all of these things have led you to your – basically your, your – latest venture, which is this veteran business services. Talk a little bit about that. Well, over the years, working with nonprofits, uh, I was always frustrated by the timing and the lack of sync. I was an Mm -hmm. entrepreneur who was wanting to get invited to the club, but the only club that I was ever invited to was the the service. So (laughs) I decided that what I would do is go to that my community there and see if I could combine my entrepreneurial veteran status with doing social enterprises. And uh, so I found a nonprofit on a national level that had been defunct, actually, and decided, well, it's it's supposed to be the, the nonprofit mission is to help other veterans get into business. I liked the idea, but I didn't like the idea of governing, government funding it, and wanted to make it self-sufficient. So the, the entity that I have right now, Veteran Business Services, has been designed and tested over the last five years to be an entity that can sell commercial services, advertising, business services, and consulting, and use that the revenues from that to subsidize uh, the consulting on service-disabled veterans trying to get into business. Trying, okay. to, trying to help them get into business is the business that I'm in. Yeah. And so you partner, I know you do a lot of work with, say, you know, like, Local colleges like Clackamas Community College. How do you? Uh, how does? How does that mission align with with the local community colleges? Well, you know, in, in any venue, whatever, about ten percent of the people are entrepreneurs. Yeah, and uh, in particular at, at Clackamas Community College, that percentage is a little bit 
larger. And when sure. I said, well, I thought, well, why don't I go partner with the community college and find some veterans there who want to take a lead in the entrepreneurial world? And what happened was that uh, the uh, the, the college has a relationship with the Small Business Development Center. They have their own. And it's run by a veteran who's very very much a champion of veteran entrepreneurs. And I went to him and said, you know, I think we ought to try and do something that's self-supporting here. Would you help me? And what eventually came out of it was the they let me, my company, sponsor what's called a Boots to Business event. And uh, it's the first time that a private entity really was putting together public and quasi-public entities to help veterans. Mm -hmm. So uh, it had a different flavor to it, and uh, both the SBA through their their, uh, Office of Veteran Business Development and the VA through their uh, self-employment program took an interest in this and said, hey, uh, we we want to try and develop some partnerships here to accelerate this. So Veteran Business Services ends up being an agent or a catalyst to do this. On our own, they, yeah. we have we have no government funding. We're all we've all been privately, but it's been private money for the whole thing. And the boots of business, I think, is really compelling because you know the the only real transitional education, if you will, that you get from the military is this thing called TAPS, Transition Assistance Pro, whatever it is. It's basically three days of here how here's how to like write a check, and here's it's just life skills, right? It's ba- mm-hmm. very basic, fundamental life skills. But there's not a lot of options if there's a veteran coming out of the military uh, to learn more about entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. So I, I like the boots to business. How how hard was it to sell that to the DOD? Well, DOD already has a, had a relationship over the last couple of years with SBA to put on boots to business on, on a base. Yeah. What they didn't have was a way to show people how they could manage these different resources, sure. especially self-employment. So I managed to get the SBA to let me actually go up to Lewis McCord and teach at their TAP. Okay. So you have a private entity that's a service-disabled veteran-owned company coming in here and saying, not only here's you know what you could do, here's how you could do it. Here's the yeah. resources you can you can match together. And they let me do that. What I was very pleased because DOD likes to have their uh, their ducks in order for everything they do. So they let me take a little entrepreneurial approach and let me on the base. And uh, yeah. once they did that, it was was done. After that, I I, I now have a card I can get in. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Uh, you also are involved in this other uh, thing called the um, I, I just had it here, uh, the Veteran. What was it? The Veteran something uh, com- corporation. Oh, the Veterans Corporation. The Veterans Corporation is a trade name that that I now own. Yeah. Which originally started by what's called Public Law One Hundred Six Fifty. Okay. In nineteen ninety nine, the government created a law that created this corporation, the National Veterans Business Development also known as the Veterans Corporation. And the idea was to provide a central source to help veteran companies get contracts with the federal government uh, and also access uh, resources for general entrepreneurship. Sure. Uh, And it never worked. Why not? Uh, Why didn't it work? It didn't work because they didn't have any entrepreneurs there. They they brought in military <laughs> and they brought in political appointees. Yeah. Uh, who uh, and they didn't bring in any younger veterans who really wanted to right. make the thing work. Uh, I went to it myself as an entrepreneur, thinking it was going to support me. But it, 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 it I could see right away that it wasn't a problem. But the idea was good, so I eventually convinced the board of directors to allow me to take it over, including their database, which is about 15,000 veterans that I now want to try and build upon for the next generation of veterans. Let them use that entity to drive their own business uh, interest. 
Yeah, on, on your LinkedIn it says uh, it won a three hundred thousand dollar, I would assume, grant from the McCormick Foundation in Major League Baseball. How did the MLB get involved in that? That's very interesting because I, I when I got these board of directors to let me take over the nonprofit, right? I didn't have any money. Congress had taken away the money, so I said, "Well, you're going to have to go get some money to create something." And and because I was on my own, I said, "Well, you know how to get money. You did that from the Ford Foundation. So why don't you apply for a grant?" And a young veteran company in Chicago came to me, and they said, we have an idea to do an online system to help veterans with PTSD. But what we don't have is any equity to test our theory. Well, since I had a nonprofit, I applied to the McCormick Foundation, who then had a joint venture with Major League Baseball that were were asking for proposals to help develop something that can help veterans with PTSD. Interesting. I won. Stars just aligned. I won. I got my three hundred thousand dollars for them, and uh, this company, which is just called Prevail Health Systems. Yeah, uh, they got the best investment they ever wanted. As a, you know, normally a venture capitalist is looking for a big return. I, my big return was giving them the money and having them make it work. And now they're a uh, they're a uh, preferred vendor for the VA. They work with the DOD. They've had thirty thousand veterans go through their program, and I hope if one of them helped their PTSD, it was worth it. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a great. Uh, that's a great cause. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, tell me a little bit more about VBS. Where Where is it headed to today? Where do you Where do you hope to take VBS in say the next five years? Well, VBS uh, was kind of nurtured by the uh, entrepreneurial boot camp with disabilities at Syracuse. Uh, we did a beta that lasted three years, and it worked. It was profitable. And the idea was to now polish it and, and build models on a state-by-state basis. And so, when you say models, what kind of models are we talking about? I'm talking about something similar to a franchise model, something okay. similar to like a decentralized franchise model. Okay. Where the, uh, the, the, the market, the veteran market here in Oregon is different than the veteran market in Pennsylvania. Oh, Pennsylvania. boy, it is. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and, uh, and a lot of the, uh, the larger uh, uh, veteran organizations don't get that from the standpoint that they want to have a central uh, control mechanism, et cetera. And I believe that the, the control mechanisms should come, one, from the, the geographic state, but also from, a, frankly, a different generation that can act as collaborators for these various entities. So in thinking that up, I said, well, I'm, I'm going to go with the state as a geographic vehicle. And when I did that, I went around to all the organizations in the state and got them to support this boots to business that we were talking about mm-hmm, before. Mm-hmm. We, went, we had 20 different entities there, a private entity asking the Secretary of State and the Veterans Affairs and all of the different uh, uh, economic actors around the state in addition to veterans organizations, come to that. And if you can have somebody in the center of that being the quarterback, if you would, for driving resources for other veteran businesses, and then the big thing, though, is after the fact, keeping the networking going among the veterans, Mm -hmm. letting the veterans run it rather than these institutions. So I have my, when I say my model, it's here, uh, it's had private investment, uh, it's worked in the past. So now I'm looking for other veterans to say, here, you want this? It's a social enterprise. It's not a, you know, you know, I'm not interested in building an empire here. I'm interested in other veterans on a state-to-state basis saying, I like that. I can be passionate about that. I can help other veterans. So I want to start one here. Would you help me? So yeah. my, my long-term role is I just want to help veterans start uh, first these uh, replications, if you would, of this. But 
with me, I like getting up in the morning and everything's different. Like I have people that want to start barbershops that are part of the the uh, Voc Rehab, and they're just as exciting as doing a high-tech deal for me. Yeah. So I want to take that role, but that that uh, that actual work, that consulting work, can be self-supporting. You can, a veteran could learn how to do that and, and make a living from helping other veterans un- under the Voc Rehab subsistence programs that they have. So uh, my goal is just to be part of that for the long term, but I think that uh, if we can create some self-supporting entities— it doesn't have to be veterans doing it, but veterans are the great ones to take the lead. If they can prove okay. it works and partner with cities, they can they can create economic development. And a lot of times when the veterans come back, they're they're kind of not forced, but they're directed, go back to college. You know, use these resources, go to universities and you know, we'll pay for it all. We have all mm-hmm. this stuff, don't worry about it. But a lot of times that's not the right course for veterans. Right. So I like the idea of a veteran coming in and being able to customize maybe some education with specialized support from entities like Patriot Boot Camp, which you were involved with, or or other quality people that can teach you something. Mix and match those, and then jump off the cliff with their business idea. Yeah. So, and and there's nothing really new here. It's 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 a question of accelerating feasibility of a business idea. So I want to continue to do that, and I want to have these entities be able to accelerate that and work with small business development centers. You know, be a private entity that that drives that synergy on a state by state basis. You mentioned, uh, and this is a, a local question, but you meant you sort of touched on it that the veteran ecosystem in Oregon is different than, say, the ecosystem in Washington, which is just on the other side of the river. Mm-hmm. Why, why do you think Oregon is so different when it comes to veteran support systems and, with regards to entrepreneur? Well, one of the things about Oregon, veteran or not, or Oregon does pretty good with uh, trying to be out in front. Portland, of course, is a, an area that's always been, been innovative, and yep. they're a high-tech mecca. But in addition to that, uh, for instance, there's 19 small business development centers around the state. They're very coordinated. They have finance teams. They have other kind of teams that are that are helping each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Boots to Business we did, we did it at what's what I think of as the veteran small business development center. It's the one that everyone thinks of. Yeah. But the other 19 were all part of it. So okay. it was. So they have. A, they've had. They've had a collaborative work. Sure. Uh, there's also uh, one of the things that I found uh, kind of accidentally was I went to uh, Oregon State University and I said, well, you know, how can I get some support here? They had a great veterans program too. And what I found out was they were a land grant college, and land grant colleges, if you research them. They go back 200 years helping veterans, but they also have a mission of being connected with communities. Right. So they were very excited about the idea of not only helping it, but combined letting the community college take the lead, and then they would support that by connecting with the community. In this case, it was Oregon City. Sure. And they worked together. So here in Oregon— People work together. It's really impressive. And and it goes all the way back to, you know, Oregon City for an entrepreneur. Oregon City is like the place. (laughs) This is where it started, baby. (laughs) If you can't be an entrepreneur here, you can't be an entrepreneur anywhere. Yeah. (laughs) I love – so we just moved uh, just across the river uh, from Oregon City. But, man, we love that area so much. Mm -hmm. It's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. We finally rode – this is not going to make sense to anybody that's never been to Oregon, but we rode the elevator in the Oregon City (laughs) For the first time, so cool. Um, so let's talk about things that are relevant outside of Oregon. What do you What do you think is the biggest challenge for a veteran transitioning into um, 
into entrepreneurship today? That that was different than say when you were trying to transition. Well, like I said, there's nothing new. When I transitioned, I did my research and found out the Small Business Administration guaranteed loans. Sure. But I had some knowledge about how that worked, how you process a loan, how do you figure out how they make the decision for that. Once I knew that, with that knowledge, I could go into the SBA and say, I understand you guarantee loans, and that's an important thing. Mm -hmm. But my deal was ready when I got there. A lot of times today, uh, even though veterans have a lot more cachet, you can walk into a bank, and the bank is, thank you for your service. We really want to help you. But we really don't do startups. (laughs) And and you're not always told that. Right. So it's not that they don't want to help you. It's that they really don't know how to help you. Sure. So the biggest thing today is coming out, and it's a much more complex world, is developing a strategy for how you're going to insert yourself into one or more opportunities. And doing that, that, uh, if you would, relationship research first. Finding a you know a fellow like yourself, say, hey, what's your experience here of, you know, uh, winners and losers who have tried to enter this marketplace? Or, you know, a lot of times on like an SBDC, for instance, we talked about them. SBDCs are great, but they not may not be good for the particular kind of business you're trying to do. They're more local or regional, and there's certain needs there that they're in in, in my area. They're trying to do a lot of construction, uh, start construction companies because sure. a lot of activities. Whereas you might have a small manufacturing idea. Or if you go to SCORE, which is a, a, a service corps of retired executives have been around for 50 years. They do mentoring. And they have ways you can just go on a website, click a, uh, you know, a, a code or a, a SIC code, and there, somebody pops up and says, I have some experience in manufacturing, for instance. But that particular person might not have the specific stuff that you need for your business. Right. Yet you haven't done that before, so you're kind of timid of saying, I can't tell this person that they don't know what I don't know. Sure. So you need to kind of learn about how to examine and vet mentors, or sometimes people think a mentor is just one person. I tell people, you need a team of mentors here. you know. And so you have to do that research and trying to figure out what are the best resources, both financial and educational and mentoring, and have that all together prior to you. And it won't turn out the way that you think it will, but at least you have a framework for going forward. Yeah. yeah. We've been talking to Jim uh, Minji from Veteran Business Services. We're going to take another commercial break real quick. Sound good? Sounds good. We'll be right back. <laughs> Today's episode of The Veteran Startups is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. For instance media relations. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this. Press releases, editorial pitches, etc. And they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package right for the future of your business. Check them out at publicize.co and tell them Carmen and Josh sent you. All right, and we're back. We miss you, Carmen. She's sitting on a beach somewhere in Hawaii right now. and Not to say I'm complaining about this weather here in Portland. It's been amazing. We're in the 50s in January. I love it. Uh, we're back with Jim Minji, Veteran Business Services uh, founder and CEO. Jim, we have maybe uh, about 10 minutes left. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about the things that you've learned in this whole... Like You've done a lot of things. 
and and you've probably learned a lot in in doing this uh, and what it takes to to go through. And you're sort of in the tail end of your entrepreneurial journey, if you will. Mm-hmm. What is some of the what are some of the mistakes that you've made in the past where you're just like, I'm never gonna screw that up again. And what have you done to mitigate the risk of that happening again? Well, one of the things that, uh, I don't know if I've done anything to mitigate it, but what I think one of the big mistakes that I've made is being too optimistic about your capital plan. Okay. Thinking that, uh, you know, I can bootstrap this and I can, uh, uh, you know, I'll make it through somehow, uh, which was typical of my generation doing it. Uh, today, I think you really need to have your resources lined up pretty accurately in advance or you really are putting yourself at risk for one thing. Sure. The second thing for me, uh, because my generation was, hey, you know, you needed to be successful as a swashbuckling entrepreneur. You need to do it all on your own. Today, if you don't have a team, uh, you're not going to make it. You know, you, you're, you're going to have to have, and even if you're, you're developing a landscaping business, you need a team. You need, you need to figure out who your maintenance people are and, and, and how you're going to do your, your marketing. And if you don't have time to do it yourself, you're going to need to plug that in with some other resources. So uh, for me, going forward and thinking that I was going to make that up as I was going along uh, was difficult then, even though I had some success in moving forward. I consider that luck mm-hmm. uh, at the time. Today, I think it's dangerous to not be thinking in, ter- in, in that. Uh, I, and I think maybe uh, another thing that I uh, would kind of redo is, um, is, is, is taking, trying to do too many things at the same time. Uh, at least personally for me, I'm an idea person. I have lots of ideas. And if you don't focus, you're not going to make it. It's just you, you need to – you can think about all these ideas, but then you have to pick the one that's the most important. And I see a lot of veterans coming out saying, well, I could do this, and I could do that, or, and I can do all these things. They have to say what's practical and drill down really hard on that and then say I'm not looking at anything else except this until it works. Sure. That makes sense. How, how much you – know, when you started your first foray into business, it was this brick-and-mortar uh, endeavor. How much – has technology played a role in your ideas as they've evolved over time? Like, how much has technology played a role in all of that? Well, right now, um, I was always kind of advanced. My first business, uh, my, one of my mentors was an NCR guy, an NCR cash register company. And back then, they were just coming out with cash registers that could do accounting work at the same time. And that okay. was fascinating. Yeah. You could, you could, and for me, a, a person who was just not administrative or accounting-oriented, it was like, here's a tool that I can rely on that's going to at least keep me straight here. Sure. Uh, other kind of technologies uh, were... Uh, I bought one of the first HP 250 computers uh, that was uh, – you guys will get a charge out of this. Is it, was, it needed its own clean room, 10 by 10 room. Come on. It had a uh, uh, about a 20-inch by 2-foot high hard disk or, or, or a, a disk cabinet, I guess you'd call it, 20 megabytes fixed and 20 megabytes <laughs> removable. And the removable disk was 18 inches across and 2 inches thick. 
But what that did for me by going forward was allowed me to segment my markets. I had seven different sporting facilities in, in a city and had yeah. about 11,000 members. I could find out who was who was doing uh, mixed doubles, who were my A players, my B players, who who involved in who was involved in social events. So even back then I was I was ahead of my time, but yeah. I was thinking marketing. Today uh, I'm still no, I don't think I'm up ahead, but I'm working in my own business right now. I have a relationship with a company called HubSpot. You might know them. They're, yeah. they're a very advanced automated marketing company. And I look at that and say, if you don't have a tool like that, you, don't, you're, you can't quickly examine your marketplace. And in order to get that, if you're a little guy like I am, you have to go there and you can use your veteran cachet and say, hey, would you give me a special deal if I'm a veteran? And I'll give you a plug, or in my case, I can get you the best deal on HubSpot as a veteran in the country. Uh, yeah. Literally now, the senior management is letting me do that. Wow. So, uh, And how do people get that? They just come to our website. There, you know, there's a, there's a square for HubSpot on on our splash page, or our, I guess they call it. They don't call them splash pages anymore. It's just the main website Your homepage, page. Yeah. My homepage. Yeah. Well, if you look under business, business resources, you see HubSpot, and you just click it, and you know we'll fix you up. And, and we'll be plugging that website here pretty soon. Uh, so we have a few minutes left. I want. I always. Um, I always like to kind of close things out and uh, with sort of like. If if you had one piece of advice for an entrepreneur, you're looking at young Jim Minji back before you transition out of the military, and now that you know everything, you've made all the mistakes, what's that one piece of advice you would give a, a, a entrepreneur, somebody that's wanting to get into being a founder? Well, when I got into my first fitness facility, uh, I was scared to death because then you're thinking – Will this be successful or not? I'm going to be a failure. And, and I went to one of my mentors who I'd talked to at school, and uh, he was an economics teacher. And he said, uh, he said, you got a checking account? I said, yeah, I have a checking account. And he says, <laughs> he says is, it, is it filling up with money? <laughs> and I said, yes, it is. He said, well, if it gets too big, put it in the savings account. But one thing I can tell you to do is just keep selling selling, selling, and then if you have excess capital, fix the mistakes with that. And uh, I remember that, and, and uh, it, it really is, you're going to make a lot of mistakes, but as long as they're not tearing down your, your, your sales proposition, just keep you, taking that proposition and making that proposition better. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so what is the last thing I have is, what are some of the resources today that you think veteran founders, military spouse founders, should be looking up? Well, the major one that I'm involved with is the self-employment program of, of the VA. It's called Vocational Rehab and Employment. And people don't know this, but there's a, there's a self-employment track. And under that self-employment track, if you're a veteran who has a 20% disability rating or more, you're eligible for self-employment. Now, it's, there's no cash there. But, but you can, on a local level or a regional level, you can get $25,000 worth of services and, and licenses and fees and training approved for a business. And you should definitely explore that. I mean, if you're qualified, if you have 20%, you can go online in 10 minutes, apply, and get an appointment. And you are entitled to, to at least try. Yeah. Now, it's not a giveaway. Sure. It's, it, it's, it's, it's fact, it's, it's pretty hard to go through. But if you can position yourself in there where the government is supporting your business, yeah. that's the real advantage there. So that's number one for me. Now, I'm, I'm involved in that, and I help people try and develop strategies for that. 
Uh, the other thing is definitely look at, depending on the state you're in, there are terrific financing options for veterans. Uh, in Maryland, they have a zero-interest loan program up to $50,000. That's You know, it's competitive, but you can get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are uh, grant programs for, um, uh, like, the Entrepreneurial Boot Camp for Veterans with Disabilities has a foundation. And you can go to a free free uh, 10-day boot camp, and at the end, they'll give you a $3,000 grant. Well, that's not huge, but you know, yeah. for getting great advice, that's that's pretty good. Sure. So I think that you need to, you know, examine that again. Look at all these resources and say, well, I got only got so much time, and and so much uh, energy, if you would, to do this. So I'm gonna I'm gonna prioritize these resources, and I'm gonna go go after it. I can leave you with one thing, though. I went to a boot camp, yeah. and at the boot camp, uh, I decided I would do uh, kind of a. Not a pretend, but an example of a company that was a manufacturing company that could make something. And I was at Purdue, and uh, Purdue is a their icon is the the boilermaker. It's a train. So I thought at the end I was going to thank the people that actually put financing up to put on this ten day event. And one of the people, uh, a fellow by the name of Alan, who's the chairman of Deer, and uh, I did up some custom bottle openers that were really the, the you could open a bottle of beer and put it on the wall. It was, it was a piece of art, really. And I decided I'd test the relationships. So I put it in a $5 box and I sent it to Mr. Allen and I said, I'm a veteran and I thank you for this and we're trying to help some people get into the manufacturing and we can make things. We might be able to work with you. Yeah. In five days, I got calls back from people at Deer Company saying, you're a veteran, here's where you can go. So so don't be uh, timid about going into any corporation, big or small, and saying, I'm a veteran, and here's my idea. Will you help me implement yeah. my idea? That's awesome. So the website, where can people find you, especially for the HubSpot uh, discount? Well, if they can remember the words veterans with an S, business and services with an S, dot US, dot com, dot US, they can come there and there's there's various opportunities there, HubSpot's uh, front and center, Yeah. but there's other things there that are both commercial services and free, Yeah. so uh, they, can, they can check it all out, and then what they can do, they can also simply just call me up, and I'm happy to talk to any veteran, I give them 15-minute free uh, strategy sessions to use this, the, uh, this, the, the self-employment at the VA, and I'll do that for any veteran. Nice. I love it. Where can people find you? They can find me at uh, on the phone. They can yeah. call me at, at 503-344-6945, and that'll follow me to my cell phone, too. Nice. <laughs> yeah, and also look look him up on, uh, on LinkedIn. He's a great guy. Jim, uh, always a pleasure to see you, man. I, l- I love having you around, so uh, thank you for coming on. Thanks. Enjoyed it. Thank you yeah. very much. So you've been listening to the Veteran Founder Podcast. Tune in every day, every Friday. Every Friday, not every day. Every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific. Uh, we will be here next week. Uh, I don't know who the guest is next week, but we'll find out. But tune in every week at 1 p.m. Pacific. Learn and get shit done. We'll see you next week. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen. Learn. Launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.